The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, take your gooey duck out of the oven and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 311 with guest Kirk Monroe, recorded live Friday, January 18th, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Exception Hunter from Redgate Software. Pinpointing all possible exceptions in your code. Online at www.red-gate.com. And now... The man who wonders what the hell is Gooey Duck anyway, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks, y'all. This is Carl Franklin with uh, just a little bit of a sore throat left. Y'all? Y'all. Richard Campbell. (laughs) How is Lithuania, y'all? You know, it was great. It wasn't any colder than it was here in Vancouver, for that matter, which is still below freezing, but not dramatically. Uh, but a fascinating place. It's a little country, only 3 million people, but a really a lot of fun. Wow. And a great project. We had a blast, a phenomenal team of people. We really did a lot of work in very little time. Got a chance to look around a little bit. You know, that's a Lithuania is a thousand-year-old country. Yeah. You know, it's hard to get your head around that, but that's it's been around a long time. So is there a good .NET community over there? Uh, not a huge one because it's not a great big place, but the the company mm-hmm. we were working with, about 30 people there, very smart. You know, they knew a lot and they just needed some help with some ideas and really confirmation that they were going the right direction. Yeah. I think that's a big concern when you're doing performance tuning is you know you're going to put months of work into re-architecting code and right. you're never sure if you're going to get that return or not. So uh, the big thing that Steve and I worked on more than anything was helping them understand where the potential return was. We had a few other ideas as well because we've done this for quite a while. Good. Uh, it was a great project. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you made a difference. Yeah, I'm glad I did too. It's really uh, a fun bunch of work. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next few months with them. Cool. Well, let's, on that note, get into Better Know Framework. All right, what do you got for me, sir? Well, a few weeks back, I said, uh, I I talked about HTTP handlers. Yes. And I said I was going to uh, then uh, talk about HTTP modules, but I didn't. So... Um, keeping my promise. Today. Oh, okay. So the HTTP module is, um, well, it's an interface that you implement. And instead of like, well, the HTTP handler is something that redirects a type, you know, a file type to your DLL. And then you can handle it, um, as if it, you know, as if it wasn't a web page. You know, if you want to spit out XML, if you want to spit out a binary, whatever it is. That's what an HTTP handler is good for. The HTTP module is really for pre- and post-processing. So it gives you an init in the interface. It gives you an init sub, passes in an object which has two event handlers in it that you can wire up. And that is a pre and a post. 
So basically, you get control before the ASP.NET system gets control of the stream, and then you get uh, one final uh, event after everything is all done, and it's just about to go out the door. So it's great for pre- and post-processing that you want to do on any kind of data. With and, and here's the key. You can keep it in a separate assembly and not disturb your, your website. Right. So I know I can hear the light bulb going off out there, you know, whatever it is that you want to add without disturbing code. You know, there you go. It's really a way to do that sort of aspect-oriented programming kind of injection thing. Not it impact is. the existing site, the existing page behavior, or anything. Just you know, right away, the ideas of logging jump out. Logging is the first thing I thought of, yeah. Right. They Or any other kind of auditing mechanism, and even uh, redirects. There's a lot of possibilities. A lot of possibilities. So there you go, the HTTP module. Awesome. Look it up. Have fun, as always. Richard, you got an email for us? I do indeed. And it's about the Jeff Prosize show, which was a little while ago. Yeah, that was a good show. It was a great show. Uh, okay, so I'm a little behind on my listening. You guys are really turning these shows out quicker than I can find time to listen. Obviously, you need to move further out of town and commute <laughs> more. <laughs> I thought you missed an important point on your show with Jeff. At the beginning of the show, Jeff was saying how much things had changed in our industry. Ten years ago, we could never have predicted where we are now. Then later, in Justifying Silverlight, one of his main points was that we now had a full enterprise-grade language that was available in the browser. Javan was mentioned briefly, but they had this ten years ago. Back in 1997, I was working with a Java-slash-JavaScript platform. So that begs the question, what is going to make Silverlight succeed where Java did not? One thing is that Microsoft is behind it. Back in 97, Microsoft was busy earning its reputation as the evil empire with some dubious strategies for dominating Netscape in the browser market. Part of that was to do with all it could do to confound Java with incompatible extensions and minimal integration between Java and JavaScript in IE. You know, I totally disagree with that statement. I mean, admittedly, Microsoft was playing the catch-up game with Netscape. But their implementation of Java was faster and more compatible at the time. Yeah, no and comment. They, but you know, without a doubt, they were trying to make extensions, but so was everybody else. Hmm. Because, face it, at that time, Java pretty much sucked for trying to make things work. And it was part of what the downfall of that whole system was that the, every browser implemented a different right. flavor of Java. And so there was no compatibility. There, there were so many version problems, versioning problems with the JRE. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like if you were 0.01 version differences in browsers had Java implementations that were different. It was incredibly frustrating. Maybe it's just a bad timing thing, right? I mean, now now might be a really good time to come out with something like this. The stuff was very much immature. And, of course, Java was a Sun product and Sun controlling it. Netscape was a Netscape product. I mean, there's all these different companies involved. So I think the big strength in Silverlight is it is a Microsoft implementation. And so there's going to be a little more stability around all of that. But right. getting back to the email. Okay. I think that the XAML component of Silverlight could make a difference, but it needs the right developer support. Java applets failed partly because they look so different than the rest of the browser experience. I look forward to trying out Silverlight, although, unfortunately, it is unlikely to be too soon. Keep up the great work, Tim Bond. All right, Tim. Okay, so, and and you're exactly right. Silverlight and XAML and WPF, all of these things are going to need great developer tools. And I, too, am concerned that Silverlight is going to have that Java-esque experience of the applet sort of sits off on its own, and the only way to really use them is to have it own the whole page, which is not a great solution. Yeah. So I don't think any of that's resolved, which is one of the reasons I think Silverlight's so shiny and pretty right now is that nobody's shipping major apps with it yet. Good point, Richard. When it actually gets out the door, then we're going to start seeing more of the pain, and we'll fight our way through it, and it'll work or it won't. And if you have uh, any more comments to add to this fuel, uh, to add to this fire, <laughs> send them to uh, .net rocks at franklins.net. Okay, Richard, uh, let's introduce our guest today. Kirk Monroe, the world's first self-proclaimed Pasha-holic, and he'll tell you about that, is a senior software developer for Quest Software where he's very happy working as a member of the Power GUI team. He's also the recipient of the Microsoft Most Valued Professional Award for his work in the Windows Server Admin Frameworks, or PowerShell, category. 
Kirk has spent the last four years working on Windows management products at Quest, specializing in data retrieval from Active Directory and Exchange data sources. These days, he spends pretty much all of his time working with PowerShell and Power GUI, writing his blog and helping others in the PowerShell community. You can contact him by leaving him a note on his blog at pashaholic.com. Welcome, Kirk. Hey, how are you guys doing? It's good to talk to you, and welcome Likewise. to the show. What's a Poshaholic? A Poshaholic, uh, that comes from Posh, uh, not being Posh Spice, as we talked about on uh, Run Out of the Radio the other day. Um, posh is just kind of a nickname that people have given to PowerShell. So a ah, Poshaholic okay. meaning just basically being totally addicted to anything PowerShell these days. <laughs> well, and what's not to love about PowerShell? Absolutely. Even for developers, um, it's wonderful stuff. But I imagine that the IT people uh, are are really, really happy about PowerShell, more than the developers. The developers could always do that stuff, right? <laughs> we, we could write code. We could write code to do that stuff. Now the yeah, IT and, pros and, you know, have the, got this framework. This was part of what we talked about on Run As was this whole issue of it. Used to be that admins had to go to developers to say, oh, "What I really need is something that does this." Yeah. And so with PowerShell, suddenly that's not that big a deal. We can do it ourselves. Right. Now you'll just get emails that say, you know, what does a system null reference exception mean? That kind of stuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and, it, and I think that's an interesting point is how far down the programming path do you need to go with PowerShell? As far as you want, really. I mean, it depends on how, how much, I guess, you like to do scripting. And with that scripting, how complicated are you willing to go to get what you want to get done done? Um, you see admins these days on the PowerShell news groups asking really complicated questions, getting into low-level .NET stuff. And because PowerShell supports .NET right in line, they're, they're, they, a lot of them seem to be willing to go that mile to go and get what they want to get done, done. Hmm. You know what I really like about this? For years, as an IT pro, I always got the willies when the developer wanted the admin account. Now, as a developer, I can get the willies because the, the IT pros are using the .NET framework. Absolutely. Yeah, but, you know, you throw a little link at them, throw a little, you know, some interfaces and stuff, and then see what happens. That you know, link is the sort of thing that I think will really work well for the IT pro because it's one querying language for all things. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Let's have a discussion about anonymous types. Uh, and see, now you're just getting mean. <laughs> I mean, some of this stuff we can barely keep up with. Man. It's like, <laughs> well, and you have to debate whether you'd ever need anonymous types in the context of a PowerShell script. Well, yeah, I mean, the only time you do need them is returning stuff from a link query, really. But then you have these types, you have these objects. Now what? You know, now you have some limitations. What is it? Well, I don't know. But, you know, is it the same as this? Yeah. Is it the same as this? No. <laughs> what is it? We don't but, know. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk, normally, aren't you only using PowerShell? I mean, the whole point is it's command line. I mean, in theory, if we're working with a .NET framework, we could be building forms with it, right? Sure, you could be. And you can do forms right in PowerShell because it supports .NET. So, I mean, if you want to yeah. take Windows Forms code and pull it into PowerShell, you're, you can go and do that. And some people have gone that far and done that. But, I mean, typically, if you're working within PowerShell, you're working right, right in a scripting language at a command line. Um, and you're using the built-in, well, if, yeah, if you don't want to get into the, the depths of .NET, you can stick at, stay at the level where you're working with the built-in commandlets. Commandlets being a native PowerShell command that is written to be targeted more at uh, an entry-level user or an administrator who doesn't want to get into some kind of a rich framework and just wants commands to go and get the job done. So what would a commandlet look like? Uh, commandlet, uh, well, it basically is a simple verb-singular noun syntax, so something like get-service. I mean, you can crack open PowerShell. This, this is actually a good example to show the simplicity uh, of the kind of things that you can do and how powerful it can be. Uh, you can just crack open a PowerShell uh, session and just type in get-service and hit enter, and it'll go and enumerate all the services running on your system. And it's just not just giving you back, like, names. It's going to go and give you back rich objects that represent those services with all the properties that come along with them. So you can really get into data at a, at a very deep level through something very simple, just like get-service. Interesting. And, and, of course, we've got to sort of set the context on all of this. PowerShell 
I tend to think of it purely from an IT perspective as something to help me administer my Exchange server and, and Active Directory and so on. But there's got to be stuff here that developers are going to care about. Yeah, well, my develop my background is development. I mean, it's a bit of both. Uh, I work for Quest Software. We do um, the products that we sell are targeted for administrators to make their lives much easier. And so I tend to to work a bit of both roles, and I get into administration a lot, even just from managing my own test labs and whatnot. But coming from a development background. Uh, I started using PowerShell fairly early on, and I just liked it for the fact that I could very quickly prototype some .NET stuff, the syntax being slightly different than C-sharp because you're doing it in PowerShell, but you could very quickly prototype some .NET code and get immediate feedbacks inside of a command console, and it was just really easy to use. No compiling, no cracking open IDE, just open, right. and you can type line by line, or you can run in, as running an entire script, whichever you want to do. Now, that brings us to Power GUI. What is that? Paragui is a concept that uh, my boss, Dmitry Sotnikov, came up with. Um, looking at PowerShell, uh, PowerShell's great. It gives a lot of power to admins. You're still going to encounter admins who um, don't want to script quite as much. They don't want to be stuck into a command console all the time. They do like the GUI. Um, I mean, obviously, that's how the GUI evolved over the years. And so now, today, without Paragui, they've got, they're facing, you know, dozens of different admin shells that they're going to use to go and work with various products that they have, be it AD or Exchange or what have you. Well, PowerGUI gives you this kind of this empty wrapper. Yes, it comes with some stuff into it, but basically it could just be an empty shell for you to go and start dumping scripts into it. Those scripts can do whatever you want. Those scripts can pull AD objects. They can pull Exchange objects. They can set um, properties on bulk bulk users or bulk groups or whatever you would like to do. And so this kind of gives you this MMC-like console, admin console, that, that you can you can control what's in it. You can put in the stuff that you care the most about. And if you want to do some light scripting, it's designed so that it'll help you along and make it so you don't have to get into too much, too much into a coding level. But if you want to just go and dig right in and write very complex scripts, including .NET, WMI, ADSI, COM, what have you. You can do that in PowerGUI as well. You can write very complex scripts, and then you can kind of build up this this nice logical view of logical organization of those scripts in a tree, just like you could in, in, a, in a mint console. Now, when you say a GUI, I, see, I, I hear you say it's an admin GUI, but is there also a... Uh, scripting GUI? Is there an IDE? Yes, it comes with both. Uh, the first release of PowerGUI, PowerGUI's been out for about a year now um, in beta, and it's still in beta right now. Um, when we first came out with it last year, I wasn't on the team, and it was just um, an admin console where you could go and build up all these scripts. Um, and then these scripts that you're organizing in this, in this tree, um, you might have a tree, for example, we have one that comes with a product for Active Directory to enumerate users and groups, and then there's one node for computers as well. And so once you get these objects, and then you're looking at them in this nice data view, you can go and take actions on those objects. So you could select, you know, 15 users and then click on the action to go and disable them or to reset their password or what have you. Um, but when you're getting into the GUI and you're actually going building up this stuff, you're, when you're writing scripts, we've, we went and added in a script editor that's integrated in the product, which allows you to do things like, well, you get IntelliSense, you get syntax editing right inside of PowerGUI. And then we thought, well, that's great, but, I mean, what if you don't want to work with a GUI? What if you just want to write scripts? And so we pulled that out and made it standalone. And so now today when you download PowerGUI, you get two things. You get the PowerGUI script editor as well as the PowerGUI console itself. And the script editor will give you your... It'll give you your um, IntelliSense. It'll give you your uh, syntax highlighting. It allows you to do bulk indenting or unindenting, uh, bulk commenting, uncommenting. And recently, it now has uh, debugging support as well. So you can set breakpoints. You can step in through your PowerShell code line by line with a watch window. You can see your variables. You can see the state of everything that's going on in the system and dig into the properties that your variable has. Mm-hmm. And so it's become a really great... Um, rich scripting environment for those, even even if you don't care about the admin console side and you're just writing PowerShell scripts. It's been very valuable for, valuable for people that way. I'm looking at your Camtasia videos. Yeah, Dimitri put up a bunch of them there. They're quite useful. They're a, a good introduction into the kind of things that you can do with PowerGUI and with a script editor. Yeah, it looks good. Now, that being said, there's no reason I couldn't build PowerShell scripts in Studio, right? In Visual Studio? Yeah. 
you would be working with a text file that uh, has an extension of PS1, but in Visual right. Studio, you're not going to get the IntelliSense and the syntax highlighting, not today. Oh, okay. That's not there. So for that kind of thing, um, basically... You're actually better off in your editor. Yeah, yeah. Microsoft has given us some nice props on their blog. Uh, they've uh, quoted one entry uh, with by Bruce Payette, who's the lead developer, uh, referring to it as Notepad for PowerShell. Um, yeah, this is a great utility, and, and it's free. It's 100% free. All the Power GUI stuff, you can just go on the Power GUI site, which is www.powergui.org, and there's a download link right on the main page, and you can download this one package that contains both products. No questions asked. Hmm, nice. Nice indeed. Do you know the perfect formula for building and managing websites? Follow me here. Zero effort plus Sitefinity CMS equals infinity in website development. That's right. Telerik challenges you to explore its innovative Sitefinity content management system and offers you a chance to win a sleek Zune MP3 player or a Sitefinity license. These cool awards could be yours if you only answer a few easy questions about Telerik's Sitefinity CMS. All you have to do is watch five short movies and see how easy it is to build infinitely beautiful websites with zero effort. You'll learn some cool facts about Sitefinity and the effortless creation of websites. So go to www.sitefinity.com and give it a try. It's fun, it's interesting, and it can get you a free license or a free Zoom. So now getting into some of the dev stuff, I keep falling into the concept of this is a great way to do some testing, like generating dummy data or exercising some objects, that kind of thing. It certainly is. So I, I, with Power GUI, I'd end up building a suite of either tests or library loads or because I, I can create any directory structure I want, right? Yes, you can. Yes. I mean, when you're working with uh, Power GUI, I mean, it's wrapping PowerShell. You can go and you could have this nice node that has this set of automated tests that you want to run through and just go through and click on, on each one one at a time. Um, Power GUI, because it's extendable and we're working with uh, a community, which you can see when you go to the actual main PowerGUI.org site, um, you can go and download the main console, which comes with built-in functionality for things like AD and Exchange, um, also comes with support for local machine, for the network, and for, uh, well, when I say Exchange, I should say Exchange 2007, um, and also System Center Operations Manager 2007. That's all available out of the box with some basic functionality for each of those things. Um, but then you can go to the site, and specifically referring to your testing, and they have a script repository, or actually it's a snap-in repository, where you can go and you can download these things called Power Packs. A Power Pack basically being a collection of scripts that you've gone and you've added into your console, you know, you can go and expand nodes and you can add links and actions. And you build up this thing that you like and then you say, okay, that's great. I want to share that. So you can export that and you make a power pack, which then you can share on the PowerShell community, on the PowerGUI community site. And we have one up there right now for test automation. Um, that one's been done internally, but I mean, people have done external power packs as well. Um, there's one out there for uh, group policy management by Darren Marelia. And so that's an example of one of the ones that came in from external sources. Interesting, yeah. So uh, I I don't see this directly as a developer's tool. I think it more of a as a tester's tool or, and an and an administrator's administrator's tool, tool. Uh, for as far as PowerShell is concerned. Although I could definitely see developers working with a group of guys who need to use this, where they could do some more sophisticated coding than the average guy wants to deal with. Well, it's also a dev tool and, and even a support tool, or maybe bringing dev into support side of things. I mean, I, we, we use it internally as a tool for support purposes. You have customers who have some issue going on in their environment. Well, here's this PowerShell script to go out and pull all this data and then just send me the results of it so I can look at it. You know, you don't have to give them a, a 15-step list of things they have right. to click through to go right. and find information. Yeah, that sounds vaguely familiar, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds vaguely familiar. Now suddenly I'm thinking about how I could build scripts that my customers could run to help me with diagnostics. Absolutely. Yeah. There's sure. a lot of value in that. Just being able to give somebody this script and say, run it, and they don't have to think about it, and they can just send you this file at the end is great. Yep. What uh, What needs to be deployed onto the machine to make PowerShell work? Well, you need PowerShell 1.0. I mean, that came out in November 
2006, and uh, that's available off Microsoft's site. And that's PowerShell 2. Point, or sorry, PowerShell 1.0 is built on .NET 2. So yeah, those two things are the key components you need just for basic PowerShell script functionality: .NET 2.0 and PowerShell 1.0. Okay, and and all of course freely downloadable, not a big deal, uh, and and then you're off. Uh, odds right. are, if you're you're building an application, you're deploying to customers. That's your .NET 2.0 framework anyway. Yes. It's just getting the PowerShell bit out that will uh, let the, all of this stuff run. Yeah, and I've been looking at this and wondering how difficult is that going to get to how difficult is it going to get to be people to install this on their systems. Uh, but I mean. In the first year of, of PowerShell being released, they had over a million and a half downloads. So it's being pretty well used already for the for, for a 1.0 product. I mean, it's the best 1.0 product I've seen come out in a long, long time. Well, when it was still Monad, it was huge. Like, the number of people involved in the beta and just simply using it, even though it wasn't a shipping product, was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really viral, too. I mean, it doesn't take long to to see people. The light bulbs just start going on. You sit them down, and you tell them, you kind of show them how they can go, and, well, you know how you can CD through your file system. Well, in PowerShell, you can just CD through your registry, the same thing, right? So you can just right. go HKLM, colon, and then CD into software and, and just go and pull information directly to your registry, just like you could through your file system. Right. And you show these things, and people just see the lights going on. They realize, wow, this is much better. This is a really, you know, a real first-class shell, and, and why hasn't it come out a long time ago? Right. Well, and, and plus the, all of these concepts of iterators and so forth, where I can say, all right, I want you to go through all of the users on the system, and if they're in member of this group, do these things to them, and this group, these things to them, and so on. Like, it's mm-hmm. just, you really could wreak a tremendous amount of havoc with this technology. <laughs> it really does a good job of keeping people's hands on the keyboard. I mean, that's my big proponent for it. Since I started using PowerShell, going into a GUI, it's like, well, why? <laughs> because if, if I can script it, if I can keep my hands on the keyboard and do it easier or build up my script repository of things that are most common, I mean, you know, I do the same thing in Power GUI. I put in things that are most valuable to me. Being able to go through and do that stuff through either a few clicks in the UI or just being able to do it directly on the keyboard is a real huge time saver. Yeah. You must also be really a, a big proponent of creating your own PowerShell extensions, being able to take your components, your .NET components, and then hook them up to PowerShell. Yeah, hats off to the team, to the PowerShell team for having done this. I mean, they made it really extendable. You can, as a general end user who doesn't do code uh, very much, but I mean, works at a scripting level maybe, you can go and you can create functions. And these functions you can call just as simply as you could call a commandlet. So, I mean, I've done a lot of functions, and I've got my own little libraries I'm building up, some I use internally, some that I share out in the community sites. And, I mean, an example of one of these that I did the other day um, there's a, a function in the Quest AD commandlets, which I'll get to in a moment, um, to be able to go and enumerate groups, and then for a group to be able to enumerate the direct members of that group. But if you want to do a recursive, that's not available. Well, mm. I just went and wrote a function to go and be able to recursively walk through group membership and give me all the members. Mm. And I mean, I could do however I want. I can say, uh, just because I didn't with a function with a couple of different parameters, I can make it as complex or as simple as I want, where I can just get each individual group member once only, uh, or I can say, okay, give me every instance of a group member. So if I want to see a particular user, why do they have access to this group? I can see every single subgroup that they would have, you know, through indirect membership, showing me exactly where they're coming from. So I can find problems and analyze them and, and correct them very easily. And so I just package this up as a function. And so... I mean, it's a fairly complex script, yet it's the end user who uses my function. They load it in PowerShell, and they just type in get QAD, uh, what's my function name, get QAD group membership, um, or get QAD group members recursive. And, and these functions are just going to go and get your data for you, just like a PowerShell commandlet will. So, I mean, that involves you going pulling a function in. But, I mean, it gets beyond that, too. It gets into snap-ins, right? So right. Uh, companies who take the time to do software development can create a .NET snap-in and, I mean, Quest has done that. Quest has uh, an AD snap-in, the Quest AD commandlets. And these are free also. And there's 29 commandlets inside of this one package. So instead of having to go and find individual functions people have done, you can go to companies, Quest being one of them, who have gone and made this package. And you download the package, and all of a sudden you get all this rich AD functionality in the simplicity of commandlets, just like you do with built-in commands in PowerShell. So what is a commandlet really then? I'm having a tough time seeing the difference between that and the function you created. That is, they're essentially the same thing. Well, yeah, a commandlet is a compiled uh, 
it is a PowerShell command that is compiled inside of a snap-in, a PowerShell snap-in. So when you're extending PowerShell, you have the options of extending it yourself through functions, or you can extend it, or scripts, or you can extend it through third-party snap-ins, which is basically a compiled module. You pull this module in just by calling add-ps-snap-in, and that's going to go and give you this large quantity of functionality that's been prepackaged for you. So it depends on how you want to package it up. You see people doing it both ways. And, I mean, Microsoft's gone and recognized that. Microsoft sees how people are doing it both from the dev and from the inside, whether they want to do snap-ins versus functions. And so in version 2, you can create commandlets in PowerShell script itself. So you don't even have to go and go through the whole compiler and working with C-sharp and using Visual Studio. You can just do it right inside a PowerShell script, make your commandlets, and away you go. Um, PowerShell community extensions. This is a pretty popular... Uh pretty popular add-on. Yes, it is. Can you, can you tell us about that? Yeah, PowerShell Community Extensions, uh, that's run by Keith Hill. He's another PowerShell MVP. Uh, they do a great job. Uh, they've gone and they looked at the basic functionality that came with PowerShell, which is 129 commandlets, and they decided they wanted to fill in the blank for things that they wished were there in the first release, some things that add a lot of value. And so this, it's a large set of both a mixture of commandlets and functions that you can just download for free. Uh, it's on CodePlex, and you can you download this and you install it, and you can decide if you want to set up just the commandlets or the commandlets and the functions through profile modifications, however you like. And it really goes and adds a lot of basic functionality that you might be looking for into your into your PowerShell environment. I mean, in terms of external snap-ins, there's a bunch that I use. Yeah, tell us. I use PowerShell community extensions. I use the Quest AD commandlets. Um, I take her around with Power Gadgets. That's a commercial one, uh, but it's kind of cool. It gives you the ability to be able to take a PowerShell script and you wrap it inside of this gadget control. So an example, um, I was doing a presentation about PowerShell back in November for a local user group, and I wanted to always be able to see the time, but I wasn't wearing a watch. So I went to this little Power Gadget that's going and getting the time every 15 seconds and updating this little clock, this little digital clock on the screen. Well, I mean, all I had to write was get date and then format it properly. But huh. the digital clock and the display and all that, that was handled 100% by power gadgets. So it's pretty cool how you can go and you can create these oh, digital wow. displays. Or char- I mean, they have support for Lots charting and graphics. Lots of gauges and charts and maps. Yeah, it's fantastic. Wow. Very cool. So, I mean, that's just another example of one that I use. But, I mean, there's tons of them out there. Uh, Slash N Software just made their commandlets available for free. Those commandlets are particularly targeted at doing things remotely through FTP, HTTP, you know, a lot of different remote protocols that you might use. They've got commandlets to go and handle that sort of thing. Um, let me just run my session here and see what other commandlets I have installed in my system. Because, I mean, I forget about them. <laughs> there's so many that I use on a regular basis. Um, Oh, there's, the, of course, the Exchange commandlets, um, which are part of Exchange 2007. Um, they have a, a crazy number of commandlets that they've added. I think it's something like 400 commandlets that they've added just around Exchange. So you can really simply go and, and manage your Exchange environment, whether it's moving mailboxes around. I mean, these are all just commands. And uh, you guys had a show on, uh, on Run As Radio recently talking with, um, uh, talking with Tony Redmond. And he was talking about the exchange commandlets. And they just done a fantastic show. That's a good show to listen to, by the way, for, for somebody who hasn't caught it already. He does a good job talking about how exchange teams gone and, and extended the environment. I mean, they went so far as to take the, the exchange management console, which used to be just an MMC-based application going into a set of proprietary APIs in Exchange 2003, and they've gone and they've revamped that. they built it right on top of PowerShell. So everything you can do in the Exchange Management Console, you can do in PowerShell. And when you do stuff in Exchange Management Console, you can ask it to give you the PowerShell script, and it'll give it to you. So it really does a nice job of merging the two worlds of GUI and command line and letting you make the segue between the two and, and transition as at the speed that, that you're comfortable with. But it makes sense to me then that you would want to do this to your applications to make it available for PowerShell. Do you have any picture of what it takes to do that? To make it available for PowerShell? Well, to, well I, mean, if, I mean, how does PowerShell see into an application like that? Well, PowerShell, PowerShell is all just based on .NET 2.0, right? So, I mean, right. if, you, if you're exposing an SDK to your application, that's .NET 2. Or even if you're not exposing it, but you have maybe some internal automation stuff, you can just all of a sudden take these, the .NET 2.0 code and, and wrap it inside of these, these commandlets. Uh, David Aiken, actually, who 
you guys had a show on the other day. Um, he went and created a snap-in for Visual Studio 2005, and it also works with 2008. And that will allow that it simplifies basically the process of building up your project for PowerShell and going and starting and creating commandlets um, that actually, you can actually use to go and, and automate your system. So. Yeah, there's a lot of value in that. We're looking at that a lot internally in Quest. I think that you're going to really see people using products in ways that you didn't think that they would use it when people start exposing more and more stuff in PowerShell because they're going to see ways that they can connect things from what might be seemingly disparate data sets or seemingly disparate products in ways that you just hadn't seen. And, and I mean, that's opportunity both for the end user and for the companies who make the products because they can see integration opportunities or, I mean, that can be the point of integration between products that otherwise weren't previously integrated. And, it, and hmm. I'm just thinking about the architecture of this application now that I'd really want to be able to abstract that functionality that I would expose in the SDK from the UI, and, or maybe not, I guess it depends on the scenario, and and figure out what I want to expose and what I don't want to expose so that it's it's fairly understandable, it still gives me a deep reach into the feature set. It's an interesting balance to strike. I'm still mesmerized by the Power Gadgets page, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool. There's a lot of nice eye candy and Power Gadget stuff, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to get right on that. <laughs> that's great. When you're talking about the, the different things that you use, the extension libraries, you mentioned something from Quest Software. That's right, the Quest uh, Active Directory commandlets. I mean, again, this is another free offering from Quest. We're learning a lot about PowerShell. We've been spending a lot of time over the past uh, two years uh, learning about PowerShell, seeing what it can do, seeing the benefits of it. And we've been working with the community to try to find out what their biggest pains are. Microsoft, when they released PowerShell, they wanted to get the product out with the core functionality being in a really great shape, and they did a fantastic job of that. Mm. But they didn't hold it up for things like AD functionality through commandlets. Instead, they said, well, we have ADSI support, so you can use that for now. Mm-hmm. And, and then Quest talked to Microsoft, and they said, well, you know, we can go ahead and we can make AD commandlets. And, and so we went and did that. And so we have AD commandlets available through Quest site. If you search in Google for Quest AD commandlets, commandlets being C-M-D-L-E-T, then you're going to find them uh, right at the top of the list. And these are freely downloadable, and they give you the extensions that you need to work with, with Active Directory, groups, users, computers, generic objects. You could do custom searching, uh, custom LDAP searching. I mean, it's all supported. It's really a great package. And these have become kind of the de facto standard for, for working with Active Directory in, in PowerShell. And you said you also had one for Exchange? No, we don't have one for Exchange. Exchange was uh, something, something that we else. were looking at early on that influenced our our going into all this PowerShell stuff and coming up with Power GUI and seeing how people can use these things and seeing how people might want to have a GUI hand-holding or a GUI packaging around these things. Um, hmm. But no, we don't have one for Exchange. We didn't need to do that because, I mean, with Exchange 2007, 400 commandlets, they did a great job of covering off all that functionality. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, the management console, everything you, can, everything you can do in it, and they've never done this with their console before for Exchange. Anything you can do in the Exchange management console, you can do in PowerShell. So that's great. I mean, you can automate to your heart's desire. That really seems to be the standard we'd want to build all our apps to, that every one of their dialogues, every one of those commands that are on a menu bar or any of those sorts of things can be called through the SDK and so are available in PowerShell. I totally agree. Absolutely. But it, it's actually, that's not a trivial piece of thinking about how you're going to group all of the the uh, requirements together for a given verb, for some kind of action that you want to take on. Uh, it's it's really not that, some of that stuff's going to be very challenging to do. I mean, in theory, if you do it right, you're going to have to write no additional code, essentially, to expose this SDK. But retrofitting an existing application into this is going to be quite a bit of work. You're going to have to come up with all of the things you want to expose and what their parameter list looks like and then call into your existing code base. Certainly. And I mean, looking at admin GUIs today, uh, administration is becoming so complex that GUIs can't necessarily even handle it all. And so even with the Exchange Management Console... I was saying anything you can do in the Exchange Management Console, you can do in PowerShell. But there are things that you can't do in the Exchange Management Console that they only made available in the PowerShell commandlets. Because 
consoles and UI just gets so bogged down when there's so much functionality and there's so many things you can do and how do you represent that visually? And maybe there are things that you're not even going to do that often. And so scripting is the way to go. So it's you can offer so much more in a scripting environment, but it, in terms of complex, absolutely, because main consoles and the products that people are coming out with today are incredibly complicated. Hey, wouldn't it be cool if you could just push a button and get a report of all the possible exceptions your code might throw? Introducing Exception Hunter, another great .NET developer tool from Redgate Software. It's so easy. All you need to do is pick an assembly, drill down to the method level, and browse the different types of exceptions that your methods might throw so you can go straight back into your code and write an exception handler where you need one. No .NET application should be created without it. Download your 14-day free trial right now from www.red-gate.com slash DNR slash Exception Hunter. Or if that's too much to type, just go to shrinkster.com slash U7I. The funny part, of course, we, we brought the whole GUI thing up because out into the world because command line was too hard for some people. And now we're finding <laughs> there's some metaphors for tasks that just aren't well represented visually. Well, Donald Norman recently did an article. Uh, it's a really good article. It's talking about user interface and the next big UI breakthrough. And he says the next big UI breakthrough is the command line. And so <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. It's a, but I mean, it, you can laugh at it, but it's true because you look at where things are today and the complexity in the UI today and how a command line can really simplify things because it's so task-oriented. It's, I want to do this. It's also gotten better. I mean, we've gotten statement completion. We've gotten file name completion. We've got you know, almost like IntelliSense sort of happening at the command line. Yes. And and that those kinds of things make it a lot more palatable than it used to be. Yes, and then a there's the community more. too, right? Because, I mean, the communities are so strong today compared with how they used to be yeah. and so much easier to access. And when I browse through the community uh, on PowerShell, every question seems to start with, I want to do X. <laughs> you know, it's that they always have a task in mind. And then you see three different ways to make it happen from yeah. various folks. Or stunningly, within 10 minutes. This reminds me of CompuServe circa 1985. <laughs> you know, back when news groups sort of still worked. And you could ask a question and get a good answer immediately. So I haven't seen this in years. This kind of very quickly interactive community. The PowerShell community, I, I don't spend a lot of time in a lot of other communities because I'm so involved in PowerShell these days, but the PowerShell community itself is is intoxicating. It's so strong and it's so viral and there's so many people supporting it. So, I mean, you mentioned the news groups. That's one place you can go and you get answers to questions in minutes because there's people who are watching it all the time, mm-hmm. myself included. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also go into, there's an IRC channel on Freenode. Uh, it's slash PowerShell. I mean, I've ducked in there a few times and there you get interaction face, well, not face-to-face, but, you know, vis- virtually face-to-face with people going and asking your questions and getting answers and working through problems right there. Uh, there's uh, a another community site called powershellcommunity.org, and uh, this site, which is uh, sponsored by Quest, but it operates separate from Quest, is uh, it's also sponsored by Microsoft and Shell Tools and maybe one other I'm not thinking of right now. Uh, any, at any rate, it's a great community site where they have forums. You go and you post your questions and you get answers. So if you're not comfortable with news groups, go here instead. There's so many venues and there's so many people who are just eager to help people because they love PowerShell so much, they just get it and they want to share that with people. It's really a viral thing. Sapien Technologies, maybe? Sapien, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> That's a big one for me to forget, yes. Uh, Don Jones is the one who... Uh, who uh, has set up the community site for us. So I should have remembered Sapien. Sorry, Don. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just taking a minute to look at some of these places, and wow. And so I read through everything that's going on at once. It's, it's quite stunning, actually. It's very cool. And, and it's grown and, just like crazy over the past year. You see like the growth curve of blogs and sites and people helping out. It's it's growing faster than than I thought it would. It's really just amazing how quickly people are picking this up and how quickly people are getting involved. People are. I just. I'm looking at the first script I could find, which is functions to encrypt and decrypt strings using Rindle symmetric key algorithms. Wow, the things you find fun, Carl. I was, yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm just fascinated by this command line tool that has all of these, you know, gadget these visualization gadgets attached to it. 
Thanks so much for, for this is a command line tool. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it gives you the best of both worlds, right? So you can do it as UI-oriented or not UI-oriented as you like. It really gives you a lot of flexibility in what you want to do. I love the idea of being able to control UI with a command line. Like, I want to see the UI, but I don't want to click on it and bring up menus and windows and boxes. And yeah, things. you want the dials and the graphs, but not the buttons. Yeah. Yeah, I want it as output. <laughs> I don't want to interact with it. I want, a visual, I want it for visualization only. Right. And if I have the object in PowerShell, I can just go in and type some stuff and tell it what to do. That's awesome. No, that's great. And I mean, in terms of visualization, you can take scripts like PowerShell. You can obviously run a script that's going to get you thousands of objects. And how do you, you know, manage that once you actually have it? Right. You might have to run a script more and more and more times just to filter down the data set to what you're really looking for. But then you could just use visualization in Power GUI. Take a script that's going to go and enumerate thousands of AD users and then filter down that list using the built-in filtering and sorting capabilities. Then you get your data set. So it really can help you do that without having to go and run a script hitting your AD over and over and over again. Because once you have the data set, you can filter and sort as you like. Here's a script on PowerShellCommunity.org to uh, to do voice interactive prompting to generate a text-to-speech prompt and use speech recognition to get the answer from a list of answers. (laughs) Pretty cool stuff that people are coming up with in the community site. And I mean, you you guys mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of what you see in the news groups and, and in the communities are people saying, you know, I want to do this. Well, PowerShell, the language itself, can be used to answer questions that you have about the language. And that, I mean, I come from a development background, like I mentioned earlier. That was just such a huge, I can't believe they did that to me. Because being able to go and query the language itself and have it ask and, and ask a questions about how I want to do things. You, all the help is embedded within PowerShell, so you can you can use it to pull help up on any command that, that is available that you have added into your session. And I mean, if you're coming from a Unix background, you can use man instead of using help, right? So I mean, they're they're trying to cater to people from a lot of different backgrounds inside of a, one common command line. Yeah, I was thinking that's a very Linux-like thing that you were able to. To from the command line ask questions essentially about how do I use this feature that feature and so on. Well, I think mm-hmm. PowerShell is really you know came out of that. I mean, there's a lot of Linux people who come to the PC and they're like, "Where's my command line stuff?" Right. Mm-hmm. So if you read the book PowerShell in Action, uh, Bruce Payette, um, the lead developer, he talks a lot about the background behind it and thinking behind it and the stuff that that they looked at to create PowerShell is just, the list is huge. There's so many things that they looked at and they tried to think about how people were doing things for like the past 30 years and try to bring that together to make this rich shell. I think they did an absolutely fabulous job. Here's a question. <laughs> is it, you think it's possible to, to have PowerShell be the only UI in an operating system? Yes, absolutely. Looking, at, looking forward to Windows Server 2008, they have Windows Server Core, which is no UI, just command line. Now, that doesn't Yay. actually support PowerShell, right? Yeah. But <laughs> it doesn't support PowerShell because they don't have .NET on it because they didn't want to put that huge package on Windows Server Core. Okay. However, they're looking into ways to strip .NET down into just what's needed by PowerShell so that you could just use PowerShell to, co- to control that, right? So, absolutely. And it, you know, it suddenly hits me. PowerShell's not a lot of code. It's mostly the ability to access all these other libraries. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's the, there's the .NET framework, which is all of that programmability and also the, the rule system around getting into the various SDKs of other environments. Mm-hmm. What language elements are actually unique to PowerShell? It's almost nothing. You're, you're right. I mean, looking at PowerShell, um, they made it backward compatible with everything using WMI, ADSI, COM, .NET. They make it work with all these different environments. And then they have these small things, this notion of commandlets, which are basically wrapping all this stuff in a simplified manner. But they're they're copying a lot of these constructs that you're used to in these other languages and, and unique notions. I mean, they've gone and taken pipelining, and they've done a fantastic job of making it work with objects and being able to pass things through a pipeline. And you can do one-liners like you never would have imagined that you could do before inside of PowerShell. There, there are unique constructs like that, but there's not a huge number of them because of it encompassing all these different technologies that were out there already. But right, yeah, pipelining is this construct distinct to PowerShell. I mean, it's existed in other scripting environments, but if you're going to make a scripting environment really work, you got to be able to pipeline. But they really upped it a notch when you could pipeline a collection of objects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they do so just, in a single-threaded fashion, yet they make it work in a multi-threaded manner. Right. It's really amazing. That is amazing. 
That's very, very clever. That's what it is. This is one of those times where it's not a lot of code. It's just extremely clever code. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't sound like there's that much you need to know to get PowerShell working for you. No, to get started. Uh, I've gone to see a number of presentations on it. I remember going to see some at TechEd 2006 and, and before that, Exchange One. Jeffrey Snover, who was the father behind it, he, he talks about five key commands that you should know. And from these commands, you learn how to ask PowerShell questions to learn what other commands are available. So the base for getting started is not very big. Like if you know the five commands, by the way, they're get help, get command, get member, uh, get PS drive, and get alias. Those five things, it's amazing the kind of questions that you can ask the language itself about the language. So I know I'm working with, for example, um, I know what I'm working with, with, users. So I can do get command dash noun, and then I can use a wildcard star user star, and I will get any commands that have user in the noun field. Or get command dash verb set, because I know I want to set properties on something. Or sorry, not, yeah, that's verb set. And it will go and give me anything that I can set in the PowerShell commandlets that are available. Um, drive support, being able to go through and, and do yeah. CD to change directory. CD, well, that, that's an alias. So it looks like it's the same as it was in command.exe, but it's actually running the set location commandlet behind the scenes. So you can you can alias any commandlet. You can make it as simple and as, as terse as you want, or you can use the full command names. And you can discover all this through these, these five commandlets. Get alias will give you all the aliases that are available. Get command will list all your commands, and there's there's dash verb and dash noun parameters that you can use to filter out the types of commands and the, the names of commands that you're going to receive back. Um, there's some good articles on this stuff, too. I've got one on my blog uh, called Essential PowerShell, Learn How to Find What You're Looking For, where I go through a series of questions just to get you thinking. You know, you have this question, how you answer it in PowerShell, or how do you pose this question in PowerShell? And so I just go through a series of simple questions and then the PowerShell equivalent of that same question so you can get the idea of what you, kinda, what you can do. All right. I'm dying to ask you this question. The coolest thing you can do in PowerShell the coolest thing. The coolest thing you can do in PowerShell? Hmm. I know it's asking you to, to choose a favorite, <laughs> but something something recently that you've discovered that was like, oh, wow. The one-liner is the coolest thing for me. Yeah, you know what? I just saw the one-liner that uh, my eyes bugged out, where it was the Power Gadget site, the guy grabbed a gauge, he configured the gauge, and then in a one-liner wrote the WMI call to pull the current CPU usage and feed it to the gauge and show it on the screen. That's actually wow. absolutely incredible what you can do there. You look yeah. at a, a VB script from the past, and you take that and you convert that into PowerShell, and the number of lines reduces inc- substantially. It's amazing how much. Like you, Sometimes you can take a fairly complex VB script and get it down to one line of PowerShell with pipelining. Wow. But most of the time when you think about a one-line script, I think about stuff like Perl, really impermeable kind of code that you just can't read. Well, admittedly, I'm looking at this WMI call to fetch the processor load. This is not a trivial line of code. It's also not impenetrable. You're looking at, I want you to call WMI. I'm after the percentage processor time. I'm looking for the total overall load. I want you to output it to the gauge using this template updating once a second. And it probably is using the full names there to make it actually fairly easy for you to read that. They're all words. Yes. Hmm. But then you can also make one-liners that are very complex if you want to. <laughs> I mean, oh, you can if you go, want to obfuscate, I'm sure you can. Well, yes, because PowerShell, <laughs> in terms of even just properties, for example, or parameters of a method, you want to use a parameter like getPSSnappin has a parameter for registered, so you can see which, which snappins are actually registered. Those would be the third-party ones that are on your system. Right. Well, you don't have to type in dash registered. You just have to type in the least number of characters that uniquely identify that parameter within that command. So if there's no other parameters that start with R, dash R will do. So you can really hmm. make things as terse as you like. And that's not recommended for scripts that you're going to share with people. No, because they're going to have different things installed and, and R is going to mean more things. Well, yes. Or it's also just not recommended in terms of you know readability and maintainability and trying to share something that somebody can actually understand. Yeah. Um, the dash R example, you're right. That could mean more things in the future. They could come out with another version of a command that has additional parameters that break your script. So that's an example where it's not recommended to go and do that in a script that you're going to publish or that you're going to use on a regular basis. But looking at just on-the-fly ad hoc scripting, it's fantastic. I, I 
pushed myself when I learned PowerShell to do everything with full commands. I didn't use aliases. I didn't use shortcuts. I used all the full commands. I think it ended up being a huge benefit for me because I really understand those commands and all the things that are available in them. But now when I'm doing PowerShell, if I'm doing ad hoc scripting, I will use shortcuts and aliases all over the place, and I'm very comfortable doing that. I didn't want to get into using aliases and shortcuts without knowing what those were doing behind the scenes. So learning the full commands for me was a real benefit. But once you know that, and once you learn how to use things short, it's a huge time saver. So knowing both worlds is really to your advantage. Uh, How much do you know about PowerShell 2.0? PowerShell 2.0, it's in the pipeline. It's coming out. They haven't set a date yet. They have uh, a community technology preview which is pre-beta available for anybody who wants to download it and try it. Um, PowerShell 2.0 goes, goes and adds a lot of functionality that I should say, well, some of it was missing. Some of it wasn't there in the version, in the first release. Uh, some of it was there, but you'd have to do it almost from the background of a developer. You'd have to have developer knowledge to go and do certain things. You'd have to do it in a fairly complicated way using .NET or WMI or some, some such thing. So they've gone and they've, they've added in, for example, remoting. You can do a lot of remoting work in PowerShell 1.0, but you mm-hmm. have to do it at a .NET level in, in many cases. Well, in PowerShell 2.0, they've added remoting, so you can have PowerShell version 2 installed on two machines, and from one machine, you can write your script, and you can say, I want to run this script on the other machine, and it'll do it for you and get the results back. So it's great, because when you're working with actual commandlets, which is the simplest form of a command in PowerShell, you can really write simple scripts to go and do powerful things in a network environment. And you can distribute, you know, across remote machines, too, right? So you can use, have multiple machines doing the work for you. Um, They've added a whole bunch of other functionality. They've added one, uh, run spaces, um, allowing you to have multiple run spaces running at one time on a system. Um, I'm just flipping through my notes here, looking for my list. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, they have gone and they've added script commandlets. So you can go and you can write your commandlets directly inside a PowerShell script itself. Uh, that's a real big value add uh, to the PowerShell community. Um, huh. They also have uh, added in... Uh, a basic, a very basic uh, scripting editor with some kind of a GUI support to it so you can go and see the results in, in, in a GUI. Um, but they've also mentioned that that's not going to go, they're not going to take that really, really far. They're going to give in very basic functionality. So enough that when you're downloading PowerShell by itself, you have something on your system more than just a command line to use. Yeah. But that something is going to be very, very limited. It won't be as powerful as the tools that are out there on the market by Quest and other companies today. And yeah, so they have said that it's in uh, it's in CTP. It's pre-beta. Um, if you're going to use it, don't use it in production. Uh, it's definitely not production ready. Many of the bits that are in the CTP are pre-alpha, and there's some of us who are hoping that maybe by the end of the year we might have it. But that's only hope. We really have no idea. Okay. Well, it's got to be challenging to follow up PowerShell 1.0. Like actually getting some significant new features in that are going to make a lot of sense to people is. Not easy to do. It sounds like they did a great job first time around. Yeah, they did. And I think they're going to do an equally great job the second time around. The team is showing that they have the track record to go and put out really powerful software and and, and all all the features you're looking for. And where they don't, they're going to follow up with another release that has it. Uh, You can see the full list of PowerShell 2.0 features on the uh, Microsoft PowerShell blog. uh, And that'll give you a list of everything that they're going to come up with. In, in, well, everything we've released in the CTP so far, and I believe you mentioned a few things that aren't in the CTP now, but are going to come out in a subsequent beta or CTP release. Well, um, I guess we're going to make an early show out of it. Uh, let's uh, call out some websites, um, starting with your blog. Sure, my blog is uh, just poshaholic, P-O-S-H-O-H-O-L-I-C.com. And I've got links on my blog for uh, Dmitry Sotnikov's blog, as well as the PowerShell blog. You can find them in my in my uh, blog roll on the on the blog site. All right, and uh, the PowerShell or the PowerGUI site is PowerGUI.org, right? PowerGUI.org, and then there's the PowerShellCommunity.org, which is a great community site for posting questions. And of course, there's the PowerShell News Group as well, another great resource for posting questions and getting answers. Excellent. Kirk Monroe, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been absolutely my pleasure. Thank you very much, guys, for having me. Excellent, and thanks for introducing us to this great stuff. Anytime. All right, and we will talk to you next time on .NET Rocks.
Dotnet Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC Yes, I'm